Welcome to Crab Lives. Just to start off with our disclaimer, everything we say and do on this podcast does not reflect the city of Los Angeles Fire Department. And just to start off with our newest sponsor, Frontline Behavioral Wellness. They are in alignment with what Grab Lives is here to do, which is to bring awareness to mental health and fight against this epidemic for reoccurring injuries and suicides and having mental health issues within the men and women who do this line of work, firefighters, police officers, first responders. And you can access Frontline Behavioral Wellness through acerahealth.com, A-C-E-R-A. And their treatments and programs are designed to focus on first responders from anxiety, depression, PTS, PTSD, addiction. They have so many innovative ways to come across to treat this blanketed term of mental health. So if you're interested, you can check out their website and look at what can be cost efficient for you, either it's through insurance or uh, what can work for you. You just got to access the website and see what they have to offer. So today's episode, I was able to sit with a peer supporter from Acera Health and his name is Anthony Hernandez. He's a retired Cal Fire firefighter and a peer supporter at Acera. And his story really spoke to me and shook me. And I wanted him to come on and talk about, you know, his his pathway to finding a center during his own mental health battles. It was a beautiful episode. Um, I don't want to ruin it for uh, the rest of the episode. But uh, if you listen in, it was a really, really uh, wonderful way to discover the human spirit and what it's capable of when it comes across adversity and the struggle of mental health within first responders. So I hope you enjoy the episode and tune in. All right. Welcome to Grab Lives, everybody. Um, Today we have a special guest and it's going to be Anthony Hernandez, uh, who's a really good friend and that I had met through a Sarah um, frontline behavioral health facility that um, is our new sponsor. And when I met Anthony, you know, he, he told me uh, just bits and pieces of his story of his life. And it really spoke to me, you know, he's a retired, uh, firefighter from Cal fire and is a peer support grouper over at a Sarah's facility in Costa Mesa. And I have the opportunity to talk to him today about, you know, the work we do to heal and the things around, how we identify ourselves as servants and ultimately having to serve ourselves and what are the tools we can do in, um, in talking about you know, what works, what doesn't work. And, you know, cutting through all the bullshit that, that people will tell us that we need to do in order to heal to, as well as like, you have to be the decider for that. And Anthony is awesome. I'm a big, uh, I'm a big, uh, proponent for, the community and leadership and you know i really saw qualities in anthony for having those um, attributions to leadership true leadership and how he presents himself and um yeah so thanks dude yeah thanks for having me john it's, it's pretty awesome to be here and go along this uh journey and see where it leads and kind of what you were talking about on off the topic of wellness and um on that breakdown of what that looks like so yeah, like you explained, it's it's a pretty um, 
amazing domino effect journey that I could have never pieced together, right? And just allowing to take my hands off it and allowing it to come in as it came is the process. Um, and so, yeah, thank you for mentioning that. So, yeah, working for uh, Sarah Health as the mother company and Frontline Behavioral Wellness is our um, first responder program. And so working outside of the department as a peer support for this wellness treatment center has been such a blessing and a gift um, to be um, on the other side of the department when they've extended uh, personnel over to us and try and help to get that care and gone through that process um, to be able to just be more than just there in encouragement. I've been able to do so many other different things. So to build that rapport and that trust is, um, you know, meaningful conversations and meaningless talking about football games and, and other types of events happening in life. And it's not just on the ready of, are you okay? Are you doing fine? Are you doing exactly what you need to? Is this like, um, are you doing what you need to in the groups and the homework? It's, it's, it's more than that. It's more than that. Um, and so it's been a blessing anyway to be under that. And then being under the clinical team. You know, I never, I'm like, what am I doing under the clinical team? Right? And you've met Dr. Maribel Contreras. And she was the one that pulled me over into that role. And I'm like, I think we're in too deep now. You know, first responder and the clinical side of things. But it was just an amazing move to allow even further growth and further outreach to impact others so i'm very blessed um to be where i'm at today yeah and i i went to go visit a sarah health and i was very impressed uh with just everything they had um set up there i mean they were doing um group therapy when i when i first arrived and they had you know the individual therapy sessions i met all the clinicians and it sounds like you guys do like what uh sound therapy you guys do uh emdr therapy there yeah um, ketamine therapy, like it, it was across the board, like so innovative, uh, to, you know, do anything they can in order to, you know, get to the root of the problem of this epidemic that we're coming across, which is like, you know, suicides, you know, suicides and PTSD, yeah. it's fucking real. And, you know, everyone's, everyone's, you know, trying to figure out a solution to this. And in the end, like there's, there's no one answer and there's no one solution but one of the main factors to finding a solution is you, mm-hmm. everyone. You yourself hold all the answers. All the answers you seek are inside. And the main purpose of that is to sit with yourself. Sometimes you're going to have to just sit with it. I don't want to. And when you sit with it, uh, a lot of times there's going to uh, be um, a moment where the dust settles. Mm-hmm. And when the dust settles, you can have the answers because they're right in front of you. Um, so that's uh, too far in between sometimes. But <laughs> yeah. in the end, you know, that's the brutal honesty of it is is that. Um, but I'd love to hear, you know, a little bit more about your story and, and how you came across finding this path to helping others and being a peer supporter through your own, um, you know, journey in life as being a first responder and so forth. Yeah, um, like you eloquently said, I mean, the process and within ourself and, um, you know, my, my spirituality and my relationship with God um, within me, right? And so 
having to get to a place where I'm ready to hear it, having to getting a place ready to listen inside and really tap into what that is trying to say. And so ultimately though, um, I can't, I can't not say this without saying that, um, I'm a first responder and I was raised by a single mom of four. And so it was to us as a team to do our chores. And if I didn't do the chore, I'd get a beat down from the bros, right? My bigger brothers, um, for putting more pressure on the team. And so being raised in a house of a single mom, dad was never around and it was just real volatile. And so being the youngest, I was always just angry and never able to like get my voice heard. And I was so little that all I had to do was just deal with mom's divorce with dad. And I was like, dad's a stranger. I don't know why we're fighting for him to get back in the house because I was so young. I never knew him in the house. So seeing all these things develop and mom's emotions flying everywhere, uh, it was just like, where can I get control? So mom decided, my mom decided to put me into baseball. And I found the position of pitching, which really suited me well. I was in control. I took, I took all of what, what I needed to, um, to be able to excel in that moment. And in two things, one, being a pitcher in baseball, I was in control. And two, when dad not being there and not feeling valued, I was able to prove to him I'm worth something. So I was getting trophies and all these accolades and, and, and achievements in that sport. And the same thing developed, started in football, you know, getting an MVP wide receiver and, and all these other, you know, scoring touchdowns and all this attention to me and excelled that way. And so coming into the first responder world, it was me. It was me to go and fix. It was me to go and rescue because I was so young as a kid I couldn't be heard. I wasn't being heard. I couldn't make an impact. I couldn't make a difference. I couldn't rescue mom. I couldn't rescue my siblings. And so what perfect, right? In developing into a team level of showing worth and value to myself, which was false, and then going into the department and then putting the uniform on it and showing dad, you know what? You know what, dude? I made it, right? Without you. I made it. I'm sorry. That might hurt. But... It also hurt for me as a kid not having you around. And, um, and so now I'm back in control. It's to me to go make that difference. It's to me to be in control of a situation as much as we can be, obviously. So that's kind of the quick of things of how I became in, came into the role as I started to research and, and gain some knowledge of my childhood and really... Like, why did I become a first responder? Why did I become a firefighter? Like, why was it such a huge thing? And in that achievement, why was it somewhat of a relief now that it was all given back to me and I was able to make, um, make this uh, journey work because, I didn't know, I just was in such major question of, well, why this role? Why this way? And now when I look back, I completely understand. So real quick, uh, finishing all that childhood stuff and, and trauma as we're having fun and trauma here. Um, I'm going to 
run it to, um, you know, going into the steps, right? Like I went into a role as an EMT and worked on an ambulance in LA, as we were talking about earlier before the show, and um, did United States Forest Service as a wildland seasonal firefighter and, and then got picked up professionally. And so that trauma, I was already drinking in a way that was, was not good. And um, looking, looking at it, it's almost like what came first, the chicken or the egg? And so drinking trauma or the fire department. And I just look at it now as, you know, however you want to look at it. Fire department definitely put the whipped cream and cherry on top. And um, going through wildland fires, um, I was gone for a month on one. And I remember, I just remember stop. We, 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 we ended up having uh, hand tools out and we were scratching a line. And I looked around and there was fire 360 degrees. Now it was some miles out, but I just stopped. And my captain was like, firefighter Hernandez, what are you doing? And I'm like, nothing. And I put my hands out and I looked around. And I'm like, can you see what we're involved in? <laughs> this is not going to make a difference. Like we probably, I mean, isn't this one of our 10 standard fire orders or our 18 shout outs? I mean, they're, I mean, they're, what are we going to do? And being gone for a month, um, I came home. I actually locked myself in the room and I cried for three days. I didn't see dead bodies. I didn't see anything horrific. Just by, just a lot of disaster, a lot of fire. Um, and so that should have been a key to my early career of what that looked like. But I didn't know what the name was. I didn't know that they were putting PTSD into our career at all. I didn't know that, you know, that there was hypervigilance, you know, as a label to tag on it so that we can now get the help for it. I didn't know that there was insomnia. I didn't know, like, all these different things that now that we're getting awareness of. So I was one of them. And then going on another call, and, you know, forgive me if it triggers anybody, but... It was a child call, and we come on scene, and it was a gunshot, uh, a GW, so gunshot wound, and it was a drive-by. And so captain's like, you know, Hernandez, you're going to lead this one. So we get off the engine, and we start coming into it. The captain came out of the cab, and the woman came racing out of her front door firefighter my firefighters were stopping other family members from they were just charging us I'm like what's going on you know and as they were trying to grab mom mom literally threw me a foot away a foot away threw me baby and i grabbed baby already cyanotic just blue and i'm like there's two gunshot wounds on both sides baby gone baby's gone and just continually doing cpr right trying to resuscitate baby and um just again like oh, i'm getting chills just getting the surreal everything just went in slow-mo as i'm thinking to myself all right this baby's not coming back and i'm just gonna keep doing cpr because that's my training 
And now I'm just doing it for the living so they can see everything is being done. My captain takes his helmet off and goes back to the other side of the engine. I give a little quick, cool, you know, look-see-poo and go, he's not good. I'm not good. I got to keep doing this. My firefighters are still trying to maintain the scene. It was like uh, about a month later, I started crying and starting to see some of these visuals of, of baby and, and mom and the chaos of the scene and how we're trying to stabilize it and, you know, getting mom on board in the ambulance and continuing um, compressions and, and, and the smells, you know, I, I, I still, I, all the flashing lights and, and the way baby was and mom and what she was wearing and, and so that stuck. But as I started to go to the station, I started to look at my firefighters and everything, they were okay. So I was okay, I guess. I mean, I had to be okay. It's not affecting them, so why should it affect me? So I would go home and drink heavily. And so um, when I started, I started professionally down in San Diego and then I went over to Riverside Cal Fire. But when I was over there, we get like uh, four days off, three days on, 72 direct, and four days off. And so for those four days, was a drinking fest uh, for me. That was my coping mechanism. I didn't know that, you know, um, if I was given a pill, I would quietly take it. You know, like the girlfriend I was dating at the time, she was like, something really wrong with you. I'm like, no, there's not. There's something wrong with you. You know, I try to bounce it back. <laughs> and, um,. <laughs> Either way, it might be true. Something wrong with me, something wrong with you. But um, quietly taking a pill, and I'm like, this isn't right. I can't, I can't take a pill and be a firefighter. So I had to suck it up. And um, so that was kind of the other major call number two that really was, was you know, vivid. And, and I can, you know, taste it and smell it and, and remember it distinctively. Um, and... Yeah, so, I mean, I guess we can leave it at that, but what I ended up doing after my mom passed, and years later, right, so I was injured out of wildland fire, retired medically, injuriously, and um, the next step in my life, and what that looked like, and so my mom, who's super badass, and was always continually encouraging me, and always supporting me, and, and putting into whatever, maybe sometimes too much, but you know what, um, it was pretty cool to have um, her sit down with me and just let me know, you know, just because your path looks different doesn't mean you're lost. And uh, because it was so much of my identity, mm. you know, I, I, it, it succumbed me, right? Dad wasn't around. He wasn't around to give me the confidence, wasn't around to give me the discipline, wasn't around to give me the value that fathers give. And so... Um, I was able to get that from outside factors. And um, so mom was, was there trying to do both. And so when she had told me that, like, you're not lost, you know, and just because you're, you're leaving now, like, she told me this too. It was super awesome. She said, um, you, know, you know, Anthony, there's, there's more than one way to save a life. And so here we are, John. Here we are trying to, 
you know, make impact through this um, podcast. And here we are trying to further um, in other areas of wellness to progressively um, give for for further healing. And um, and here I am now at peer support uh, for first responders, not saving. I can't do that, but help assisting all the same and and uh, providing some resources and providing my experience through what I went through in hopes that that relatability can make that impact to want to move somebody in in a direction for better to unload the bricks um, that we all carry. You know, childhood is a major component that, you know, we, I've laughed at when a shrink wants to tell me, well, let's talk about that inner boy. Let's talk about <laughs> him and say hi to him. I'm like, this is ridiculous. I am not going to do that. But when I was able to be in a place of desperation and want change and want that healing i'm like you know what i do want to talk to that little boy i do want to want to like let him know it's going to be okay on the other end i do want to discuss further you know how we can work together because we've been running from the trauma from the beginning for so long and then it just compounds right and um so Nonetheless, what ended up happening after I left, um, mom passed away, uh, uncle passed away, I had two friends pass away, uh, and there was just a lot of loss, and um, this wasn't my, my first attempt at suicide. Um, uh, when I had first retired from the department and mom was giving me all this encouragement and support, uh, I just... It, it it wasn't that I wanted to die. It's that the pain was so great. And finally, I, I couldn't run from it anymore. I couldn't run from the calls. I couldn't run from my childhood because I was so busy trying to get into the department. I was so busy at the department. And in the department afterwards, I was busy you know, partying, I was busy traveling, I was busy living that life, looking at the firefighter dream, the house, the car, the boat, trophy wife, right? And I had to slow down, and everything caught up to me and dropped. And that's when my first attempt, just after leaving the department, um, I tried to hang myself, and uh, mom did a pop-in visit, out of nowhere and saw me and got me down and and uh, we just cried for a long time and nothing um nothing was done she didn't call you know a psych ward and put me on a hold she just stayed with me for a couple days and then she left and um i continued to drink though and that's how bad it was um the last attempt came a few years ago and that was when I had all the loss. Mom, uncle, a couple friends. And I'm like, just somebody put the e-brake on. Like, this is coming out of COVID, you know, shortly after. And, and I'm like, somebody just, just please. I need a fucking e-brake. And um, it didn't come. And so I decided, you know what? I'm going to check out my way. I'm going to check out the way I want. And at the time, um, I had met Claudia. And 
ironically, we had met through a small group of Bible study that I was holding. And so I started to cancel some of those Bible studies I was holding because I, I wasn't able to hold anything. Um, there was spots in my life that were good and better. And so in any case, that's how we, we met. And she just stayed pure to the help. And every now and then she'd ask me in my binges of drinking, like, do you want help? And I'd look at her and I'm like, yes, I do. But the pain is so great. I don't want to end my life necessarily, like I mentioned earlier, but I want to end the pain. And I'm bringing so much sorrow to everybody outside. That's just, it's just better. And you build a case in your head that it is okay, that it is better. And, um, and that kind of starts to develop and become truth. Hmm. It became my truth to me that, okay, you know, um, you know, I have a daughter and she's going to be fine. She's married and bought a house and moved to Texas. And, you know, that relationship strained from all of uh, my antics and hold my accountability and responsibility in it. So she'll be fine. Um, you know what? My brother's going to be fine with his kids because they're young adults now and they're doing fine. He's super involved in their lives and their young adulthood and I'm good. And I just started to do that with relatives and loved ones. Look, I don't even talk to those friends anymore. I barely even see them. So what's the use? And it just kept going. And the truth kept building. And so I, in a funner way to me, I was like, okay, drinking's been a part of my life. It's helped me all the way through, so I thought. And um, I literally just made it real simple. I'm not going to drink water. And I'm not going to eat. I'm going to check out. And as, as, as idiotic as it sounds, I'm going to check out by just drinking. I'm going to go out the way I want. So Claudia sticking it out for about a year with me just completely demoralized, just burning down with nothing left. Um... This, this beautiful person continually just spent time with me. And um, she came over one night. I guess I'd asked her to come over and check on me. And um, in the middle of the night, there was me wrestling around with myself and falling over, I guess. And she's like, you just don't look good. And I looked at it. I'm like, oh, it's been two weeks since I've not had water since I've not eaten it's I'm this is I, I'm going I I am finally going to check out so whatever the body's gonna do whatever let's go I was like ready to just tap into whatever's left after this life so she and uh, my brother were over and they ended up calling 911. 911 came over. They said that I was combative. Um, I ended up getting into the ER, and I had my first seizure. Um, it was one of three, and my body was such in a disarray of state that um, <clears throat> that uh, I stopped breathing. And so they put me on uh, life support for two weeks. Um, 
they put me in this highly intensive critical area that the nurses had cameras on. They were next to the room. Uh, the one person that could visit could not touch me. My body was just in this super high, high, highly sensitive state. Um, and so I was there for a couple weeks. They tried to pull out the life support to see if I was breathing on my own. And I started to, and then it went back to irregular um, breathing. Uh, and so being on life support for a couple of weeks, I finally came to, and um, I was in the hospital for a month, and I had to relearn how to walk. A couple of weeks later, I was really upset, by the way, that Claudia, um, they called 911. And she was at my bedside when I came to. I was just real angry at her. I didn't want to be here. You just intervened into something that I didn't want. That's how much pain that um, we can be in. That's how much pain I was in. And um, so a couple weeks later out of the hospital, I was back to drinking. I didn't know what the help looked like for us. I didn't know that there was even help for us. And I say us, um, meaning us as first responders and, uh, you know, as a firefighter. I'm already, I already left the department. So I didn't have a union. I didn't have, I didn't even know what, to be honest, when um, peer support started to come up as a, as a term, I, I was like, I don't even know what that is. I, we didn't have that in the department, and that's sometimes why I don't like to name some of the places I worked. They're like we had a we had a peer support, and I don't want them to get you know chuffy pass you know puffy chest on me. But um, we didn't. We could have came to your union. We would have helped. At that time, that's not what you did, um, because you start to get them involved, and the only hoops that I knew that you were going to jump through were alcohol, substance abuse treatment centers, and hopefully not get demoted. And that's a sign of weakness. And now you're a trouble child. So that kind of wasn't an option for a lot of us back then. But nonetheless, um, I was back to drinking and Claudia kept supporting, encouraging. And she finally said, um, you still want the help. And I had a buddy of mine, Julian. He accidentally found a treatment center for first responders. And I'm like, there's no way. There is absolutely no way. Stop messing with me. Stop messing with me. And he's like, look, it's right here. I found it online. And uh took me two more weeks. And after nine months out of the hospital and drinking heavily, um, and we're talking 3 a.m., 4 a.m., body needing it on the hour, barely getting food in me, just a disgrace. And... Uh, I said, okay, I want to go. So I did a detox for five days, and I went to this first responder treatment center, and I was there with two other firefighters and a retired uh, police officer, and we still talk to this day. So after I had gone through that treatment and, the, and didn't fully get what I, what I wanted, what I felt I needed, I just started to pursue. I just started to go, like, what else is out there? Whatever else is out there. And in that desperation was my benefactor. You know, like I'm just starting to grab and hear like, okay, so I did breath works. That's awesome. Um, we did sound baths. That's calming and soothing. 
what else? Meditation, guided meditation. Awesome. Let's keep going. And um, I started to go further. And so I got a phone call from the person that was running that program. And they were like, hey, do you want to, you know, maybe come and, and uh, entry-level position at this new first responder program? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I have any business being there. Um, it took me a few months, and I finally said yes. And so I started in this entry-level position, and then they ended up moving me around. And they're like, wait, we're going to put you in outreach. And then Dr. Maribel uh, was like, well, was our clinical director then? And she's like, we're moving you into clinical, and we're actually going to have you do peer support. So I ended up getting a bunch of trainings in that. And then I, she put me in group facilitation, so I was able to kind of lead with my experience and some of the training back behind it, and still pursuing my wellness through it all. Like, I was, that's not working, let's go to the next. This is good, let's keep that. And still moving forward in it. And so having the component of experience with the outreach side of of the treatment center and then the clinical side and then I'm going to do in-person one-on-ones with our with our our um, I call them guests with our guests and that was just incredible to be able to have like I'm going to go out to lunch go out to dinner I'm going to go surf and just build these re- relationships with people that at any given time knowing that they can drop and unload something that they've held on for so long was beautiful thing to me and, and and not have to be in that treatment center you know all up in your face ready to go like hey man you okay you doing all right mm-hmm. yeah are you going are you going to meetings because you, you bad alcohol oh got a sponsor okay all right well then um that's it bye-bye you know it was it was a bigger relational level um that they allowed me to do and start falling in love with it Thanks for sharing that, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's such a, uh, I just want to really honor you for you know, having the courage to you know, express yourself. And, you know, you told me, you know, bits and pieces of this story when I first met you. Mm-hmm. And I was like, there's something to this guy, you know? And suicide ideation sucks, man. Um, and I've been there myself. And it's not something that's that's really talked about. Um or discussed, you know, mm-hmm. and, and personal experiences with it. Um, you know, in the end, with with suicide, um, you know, ending, taking the the courage to end your own life. People don't see it like that, mm. um, and the pain that takes you there. Um, there's so many layers underneath that, and you know, I had to look at myself, and I made a decision. Um, to face myself Mm -hmm. and shake hands with my demons. Mm -hmm. And over a period of time, I began to see that, you know, my demons just had disguises for something underneath. Sometimes it would be a repressed emotion. Sometimes it would be, you know, an an idea of myself, an identity that that wasn't true or wasn't mine that I, I put a lot of thought into over a lifetime. You fed it. Yeah, and and you know, a lot of these things came down to a lot of belief systems that didn't support my truest self. 
And so all the limitations with these demons um, were revealed after I had to sit with them. And over a period of time, I began to see the humor in it. And then I stopped allowing those thoughts to really take a hold of me. And there, there became like a, a, a there, there comes a moment in, in throughout mental health where you make a decision. Are you going to live a life of disempowerment mm-hmm. or empowerment? And that's the bottom line. And there's no, there's no boot camps or training grounds for all this stuff. It's you and your consciousness. That's it. You have therapy and you have, you know, you, you can do so many different modalities, but in the end, these are just guides that can assist you along the way of your own discovery because you have the answers and to sit with yourself is like one of the hardest things to do. And the whole goal here is, is to not get to the point of suicide ideation. You know, I would be sitting on my couch and I'd get this thought in my head and be like, why don't you just fucking end it? Mm-hmm. Um, through my own pain, you know, I had a moment in my life where I was drinking heavily too and the alcohol was just numbing myself and I had to make a, a clear conscious decision that I was poisoning myself and that it didn't serve me anymore. Um, but it definitely was, uh, it was a conscious decision with myself and I'm making an amends with um, making the choice. And so, you know, with, with suicide ideation, what helped me is that I had a, I had a teacher um, who taught me about suicide and soul contracts, which uh, was pretty interesting because this goes into uh, the idea that um, our souls at a, at a soul level, um, we make these contracts with ourselves. And when you make a decision to end your life, you're cutting a contract. And so this kind of goes into the idea of reincarnation. So it might, um, you know, challenge people with the idea of that, but um, you know, she, she told me that like, you have to make, uh, an understanding that if you end your life, you're cutting your contracts off with other people that are here to make, you know, decisions and, and ways of, of, you know, getting through other obstacles in life. You have these contracts with people as well. And so if you, if you end your life, you're actually cutting off that contract mm-hmm. and there's a huge karmic decision around that. And so you're gonna have to come back to the next incarnation and it's going to be harder that's an interesting take. Super interesting. And so when I was told about this, I was like, whoa, that's pretty interesting. So it changed my whole perspective on suicide. Um, and also when I go to work and I see traumatic things, I understand death in a different way because of soul contracts. Because the way it was taught to me was that you're in soul contracts. You will um, choose when you were born, you choose your eye color, your parents, your decisions and your markers in life, of how you're going to learn your lessons in life. And you also have a decision to choose the way you die. Mm. Um, so it, it might be super far-fetched for, for some of the listeners, listeners and some of the audience. But for me, that changed my, my identity around suicide. And then it changed my identity the way I saw death, especially at work. And I remember when I went to work and I had this uh, really young boy die in a car accident. Um, it was pretty traumatic because his family was around me uh, yelling and screaming. I had to pronounce you know, this, this person, um, it, it, to me, I, I, I remember speaking to myself about soul contracts. I was like, wow, this, this is a soul contract. This person chose to end his life like this mm-hmm. and it was predestined. And if you zoom out a little bit, you can kind of see that there's, there's a reason why these things are done. 
the the demise of someone being and some somewhat of a martyr could change the course of someone else's life and make a ripple effect and make them change in a different level so kind of zooming out and seeing it like this um it just changed my perspective it might not work for everyone but this was something that was introduced to me and it changed my my idea of stuff mm. but um suffering man it's uh it's something that's that we each have to have to witness within ourselves and um and also take um take that that power back you know you can choose not to suffer and the more you work at it um it's just you get to see how how much of a joke it can be if you have to find a humor in it um but when you're in it it sucks dude i mean i'm not gonna yeah. i'm not gonna you know sugarcoat <laughs> it it sucks when you're in it man um and that's the whole point of all this is you know our own personal experiences and sharing our our life stories and things like that it, it helps man yeah um and the way you you describe therapy how you're you're talking to a therapist and they're telling you hey look go into the inner child a lot of times we're so closed off and we're, we don't even want to go there yeah and you you don't feel like it's relatable when you're going to therapy um and having to face yourself in in a room with someone who doesn't know you it doesn't know how how this job works and doesn't know these circumstances that led you there um a lot of times we're we're just closed off um to that and uh that's why the power of grab lives is just to listen to how we all struggle with with some of these things now we can overcome it and to liberate ourselves from the desperation because through desperation comes inspiration and that's what you do now is you inspire people through your story and through your uh just through your own suffering, you can bring a light into other people's lives who've struggled. And for me personally, if I was going to go into treatment and I heard your story, I'll be like, wow, I want to work with that guy because mm -hmm. he relates to me. He understands me and he's been through it aside from someone who's a doctor and has a PhD in something that they have no idea and how to relate to me. Um, it means a lot, dude. So I just really want to empower you um, and your work, brother, because it, it really uh, makes a, a ripple effect within the field of first responders. Um, and that kind of goes into, you know, some of the stuff you're you're talking about of all these different practices that have helped you. Because um, I bet at first you were kind of closed off I, by, trans, let's say, transcendental meditation you were telling <laughs> me about. You're like, what the hell is this shit, man? Like, so, <laughs> like, what's worked for you, dude, um, yeah. as far as, like, some of these practices and stuff that, that helped your mental health? kind of uh find a center point um yeah uh totally relate to what you're saying and and i thank you for the the support and encouragement of it sometimes it can feel like am i off the beaten path here like <laughs> because um you know, i was a firefighter this you know some years ago and and here i am and what am i doing but nonetheless i appreciate that um yeah so breaking down that world of wellness for me um what you had said earlier at the beginning of the show was talking about progressive, you know, ways of and, and modalities that are out there that I did not know, right? Um, and so when I got a touch of uh, Breathworks and I got a touch of um, Sound Bass, I was like, "Wow, this is some this is some hippie shit," <laughs> and um, you know, it's calming. It's calming to me. So. If I can put therapy, talk to a therapist, and let some of these emotions out, and then I can subtly, you know, I can calm, after that I can calm my, you know, physical being down, 
then I want to do that. So I just started to add some of that stuff. So Breathworks was one of them um, for anxiety. Then we did some trauma breathing um, and then doing the sound bass. And I'm like, let's build off this. And so um, side note of the fun and trauma of my life, um, the Claudia who called 911, um, she's my wife now. And so we, oh, go, to, wow. we go to couples therapy. Um, and so there's another outlet, right? And unifying us, you know, and this team of moving forward. And it's just amazing to have her. So, um, so we do that. So now we're adding, right? So we have Breathworks. We have Sound Baths. I have therapy. I have couples therapy. And then I started to go, what, what else is out there? So um, I was introduced to Transcendental Meditation. It's by the John Lynch Foundation, um, f- and they have, for first responders, um, a free training for transcendental meditation. And a real quick story with that is uh, the there was a dr- kombucha drink company that was um, surrounded by wildland fire. Firefighters came in, saved it, saved the building, and so they put money towards the John Lynch Foundation for us to go and receive this transcendental meditation training. So I, you know, Dr. Maribel had told me, like, go up there and see if it helps, and then you can bring it back to the guys and you know, start introducing it to them. So I did. And um, I really, I just in a quick overview of it, I sit for two minutes by myself, which is a difficult thing to do. And so um, I sit by myself for two minutes, just kind of warming up and just settling in. You know, if something itches, itch it. Get in a comfortable area with some pillows. And then um, I start to go through a mantra, right? So a one-word mantra. After the two minutes of settling in, I go to like a 20, 30-minute by myself having conversations run in and allowing them to run out. I don't hold on to them. I don't try to erase them. I don't try to do anything with them. And I don't try to control my surroundings. My doors and windows are open. I let life happen while I sit there with me and those thoughts, whatever they may be. May be. And if it's uh, taking me so far out, then I use that mantra, which now I call an unfocused word because it brings me back so that I can get into that transcendental place of just being, being present. And um, I do that for 20 to 30 minutes. Man, it's a tug of war. And it's nice in a way because after I'm exhausted, I've allowed the thoughts and the feelings, emotions to run in, run out. And then there's a two-minute cool down after those 20, 30 minutes. And you release the mantra, the unfocused word, and let everything go and just sit. And it's kind of like you're just decompressing. And... My sleep has gotten better from it. Um, my wife and I started to do it together. Um, and so it's helped um, to react more calmly also. So then I just started doing that. I do do a 12-step program. I work out of a 12-step workbook. And I meet with my sponsor once a month. I don't necessarily go to meetings. But that's what works for me. Yeah. Did I at one point? Yes. I went to 12-step meetings all the time. And I built a foundation. And so now my work looks like the workbook and digging in further. And it's basically just journaling. Mm. It asks you some real raw questions. 
and they're thorough. And the answers are in you, just as you had put it. And so I dig in and then I journal about my truth. Take responsibility for it. Take the accountability in it. Because there's a lot of shame in the story. There's a lot of embarrassment in it. Mm. You know, and things that I did while I was in that pain. And so um, I do that. Then um, I think some of the more progressive ones that I've done is Cambo. So um, when you had brought it to light that here's another progressive um, wellness service, I was like, okay, um, you know, I really didn't know anything about it. I thought that I was going to be licking toads and hallucinating (laughs) everywhere. I mean, I was serious, but I was like, you know what? If it works, I'm going. And so um, Cambo was a part of that. Uh, And just here's 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 the thing I want to say with that. The best gauge is Claudia, my wife, because besides the um, when you are served Cambo and you go through that really physically painful process um, is is it, it it's just a, it's you have to ask her the difference in me but now I can start to see it I'm getting chills again in this when I finished the first serving of Cambo the calmness the spaces that I wanted to go to and where I wanted to send this positive energy to, I was now in control of in a very peaceful way. Mm-hmm. My reactions were more out of love. Um, I wouldn't respond in anger or haste. I would think and slow down and i was excited about life yet calm i was at peace yet i have energy and it just really allowed the toxins to purge and then just settle me in with the state of confidence of who i am where i've been and where i want to go and that was probably one of the more impactful things um, in my life. And to be able to look at Claudia and just go, where did where'd Anthony go? Where did you go, dude? And um, this is not the Anthony I know. I mean, you're highly emotional, very, you know, driven. And, you know, you, 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 you move with a lot of passion. Now the passion's still there. It's just put in a very nice place that I'm able to utilize it to possibly, hopefully, it's received with love and patience instead of just overly robust and in your face. And so there's been like an immense amount of healing, uh, especially additionally doing um, two more servings of Cambo. So now um, it's just like, just go. It's real smooth. Yeah, so just a... Just for like a backstory on this, uh, so I am a, am a Cambo practitioner, and Cambo saved my life when I was going through the darkest 
um, moments of my life, Cambo came into the mix and it, it saved my life. Um, it helped me recover from my concussion symptoms. Um, and, and primarily it, um, it, you know, Cambo has been referred to as the great revealer, um, because it helps you see things that are, are deeply rooted and it helps them come to the surface and you can look at them and then release them, have a visceral release. Um, and also have this greater sense of, of gratitude because you're able to sit there with yourself and have something leave your body. Um, and so with this, you know, I, uh, I, I sponsor, um, usually first responders and veterans, um, with Cambo. And I usually do this, um, you know, once every uh, few months. And when I met you, I was like, for some reason, I was like sponsor Anthony. Hmm. And I didn't know why, um, reached out to him and he came in and, um, sat with Cambo. Um, and there's, there's something special about this medicine for, and first and foremost, it's non-psychoactive. Um, and it, it, what it does is like, there's these peptides in Cambo that, that helps rewire the nervous system, rewires the, the system biologically and also helps your hormones. It does so many different things, but it, it rewires the brain in a certain way. Um, to help you reprocess things. And, you know, I can only attest to uh, people's experiences with Cambo. And it's helped my girlfriend Haley tremendously. It's changed her life where she was, um, and hopefully she doesn't get mad at me for saying this, but she was diagnosed bipolar by three different doctors. Um, mm -hmm. And Cambo helped her completely rewire her brain around these highs and lows she was having to where she doesn't have them anymore. Um, and it was just trauma uh, that was deeply rooted in her system and Cambo helped her see what that trauma was and then work through it. And the thing about this, this medicine is that it's, it's, you know, there's still studies being done on it and, and seeing what it does, but the people who've come and done it, I've seen them come to, come to me. I've seen people come to other people and they walk out the door, a different person, mm. Um, it's, it's powerful. Um, and ultimately it's you versus you in Cambo. And that's, that's no the doubt. cool thing no about doubt. it. <laughs> and it's very challenging. Um, people who say they're going to come defeat Cambo, not going to happen, man. They're going to really have a hard time, um, with that medicine because that medicine, um, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. Um, you have to surrender to it and learn how to let go. Um, and that, that has taught me so much about my life is learning how to let go of things. And it's a great teacher. Um, but I'd love to go back to like what you're saying about, um, you know, meditation, because, you know, in the line of, you know, firefighters, um, we're demystifying meditation mm -hmm. to learn that just meditative techniques to just sit with yourself. I guarantee you many firefighters cannot sit with themselves in silence for five minutes it's one of the hardest things to do. And, you know, meditation for me was, was highlighted when, um, when I grew up watching, watching basketball and, um, and studied Kobe Bryant, you know, he was one of my, my favorite basketball players out there, Michael Jordan. And he was taught by, uh, Phil Jackson, yeah. uh, both these great, great players, you yeah. know, and Phil Jackson, Phil Jackson is a, uh, you know, he's, he's heavily involved into Eastern philosophy and, um, you know, he would teach, you know, how to empty the mind and have this empty awareness. And that is how you find your greatness within, if you can do that. And if you ever play sports and you had a game that was really shitty and you had, you had an, a bunch of thoughts running through your mind 
and you know this. And so, you know, the greatest players know that you have to empty your mind in order to come into these moments of greatness. Yeah, you can't think too much. Yeah, so, I mean, the mind can be a beautiful uh, master, um, but also a, uh, a very harsh enemy mm -hmm. if you allow it to, to take control of your life. So meditation allows this space within yourself to be more of a filter, like you were saying. And by demystifying that, even if you go into uh, like a, a Buddhist monastery and you ask the monks, hey, what is meditation? They will tell you that it's just sitting down doing nothing. Yeah. Which is funny because, you know, in Western uh, society, we we see meditation, if you've never done it, uh, we judge it. Um, very and, much, and very much. Why, why do we judge it? You know, it's just sitting down and doing nothing. It's because we have this um, rat race of a society where we don't sit down to do nothing and it's a it's a practice and when you use it um it's just like exercising a muscle within yourself to find center and balance with yourself to just let the mind dissipate mm. and when you find this empty awareness with yourself you can find peace and ultimately if you think about it you know mental health is about finding peace within and having those thoughts just you know, not serve you anymore, but having this space where there is no more um, just mayhem. And I think for myself, if I would say, you know, how did I do meditation? I took a lot of time, you know, I had to sit with myself and practice it. Um, but it accesses the autonomic nervous system and allows the nervous system to also relax finally. And if you talk to any firefighter, they can tell you they always have a ton of thoughts because we're wired and geared to constantly be observing our surroundings and that programming within us keeps us from finding peace and if, if you tell someone uh, to come home with that you really can have a hard time in a relationship that's why you know firefighters and police officers have a high divorce rate because mm -hmm. this hypervigilance can't shut off and so it's up to us to do that ourselves no one else is going to do it for you so if you take a moment with yourself to just sit in silence, it really helps um, just regulate your mind, body, connection, and find this center center place with yourself. Um, but it's funny that this transcendental meditation has come up because uh, our union also is being taught transcendental meditation mm. and finding how to use this as a tool uh, to teach first responders and firefighters how to do this. Um, and essentially, you know, you can... If you go deeper into meditation, you find that you can go deep within and find great answers. Um, you know, a lot of times I will sit in a meditation before a podcast and then I'll have a great inspiration for an episode. And it's because I'm able to let myself sit. And some of the, the greatest, um, you know, I guess analogies that have come up for me for, you know, hypervigilance or some of these things that they've come up in a meditation. Um, so you can really play with it. Um, if you have this curiosity around it and, um, you know, instead of judging something and saying, oh, this is some hippie shit, um, we're, we're coming away from that idea of, you know, this is just some hippie stuff. But if you think about it, hippies are fucking, they're having a good time in their life. They're enjoying their <laughs> yeah. life. You know what I mean? Well, and too, you know, we, we, we mock what we don't know, right? I mean, yeah. it looks silly. Um, and then it, it has this sort of, I wouldn't say stigma about it, but this idea of it, of what that is, because you put the word transcendental and you're like, no, oh, okay, you just, you, you lost me, right? But it's, it's really just like you said, um, when I would go into that tr uh, deeper transcendental state, it's just, it, it, it's just 
a space of nowhere. I don't know how to quite put it into words, but it's just in this space of just peace and place that everything's bouncing off the mm-hmm. thoughts, the emotions. It's a place that it can't get to. And um, it's, it's a nice place to be in, right? Um, and it takes a lot of time to get there. So you are being, uh, having those intrusive thoughts, those, those emotions coming in. And, um, and so in that practice, uh, it has gotten to those places that it no longer bothers me, which now I'm out in the real world and people can't get to me. Things can't get to me because it's bouncing off because of that simple practice. My reactions are less hostile, <laughs> I guess you can say. Um, no, so it, that, I'm, I'm glad you brought high, that up because, emotions, yeah. like, uh, so this practice uh, allows you to um, have you're not non-reactive, right? Um, and so what this does is if you even if, if you would see like a, like a monk, right? Like like Thich Nhat Hanh is a, a famous. Um, monk who speaks on the fact that you you are a walking meditation and so if you do this practice you begin to see that you can take this art and use it by not having to sit down quietly anymore you're able to to manage how this works by just being in regular life Mm. which is why it's so important and it it allows you to um, you're not hardening you're actually expanding beyond your consciousness because you're not letting things get to you and you're not, you're having your thoughts begin to dissipate and you are now using this practice in regular life and you know, especially in our line of work yeah. it becomes really difficult yeah the responses have become so much more healthier so much more loving uh, my wife sees it um, which is super important obviously to me and just i drive in the slower lane i um don't respond to you know antagonistic comments any longer, or I'm not always on the hater side of things. I'm in the you know I just don't really know what they're going through at this time. Maybe they just need a big hug. You know it's it's a really really cool space to be in um, just from that. And so um, that practice has been super important to me. Um, and that's you know doesn't always work as we're talking about wellnesses and. And, and services and what those look like and what works what does it and uh, that's one that doesn't always work and if it doesn't then i go to the next right I, i've tried to build on different things that will be able to work in that moment and so these tools of my recovery have been a blessing i don't always go to 12-step meetings i don't always meditate i'm not going to always be you know, being served Cambo. I'm not going to always be, you know, I'm not going to always be in that one moment of wellness. And it does take practice. We have to realize that I'm erasing, I'm 47 now, that I'm erasing decades of trauma, hurt, and pain, that it's not going to be over a quick amount of time. And that's the battle with, uh, especially with us uh, first responders, that we the quick fix is drinking. Right. And so it, it, the competition is tough because I can easily go to the store and start pounding away and in minutes feel very well, as opposed to erasing decades of pain and things we've seen and smelled and tasted in the department. And now it's going to take possibly some years 
Yeah, so one of the biggest things is being honest with yourself. If you live your life with brutal honesty you, and ask yourself questions, you get some serious answers. And uh, the moment you give yourself the opportunity to have that brutal honesty with yourself, it's gonna change the course of your life. And that comes through um, a heightened sense of integrity with yourself. Mm. And the cool part about having brutal honesty and asking yourself certain questions, that's a part of shaking hands with your demons. And when you walk in that manner, it's funny how like deception and lies around you, you can cut through them immediately because you're raising the caliber of yourself to a higher level of degree. And if you think about like guns, like a, a low caliber gun, it, like a 22, it's like gonna bounce all over the place if you're gonna shoot something. But a higher caliber, it's gonna pierce through something. It pierces through all the bullshit and you get to really see the truth of this reality because in the end, this is a game of consciousness. And if you realize that and you raise the standards for yourself by being honest with who you are and understanding like things like the F word, feelings, a lot of firefighters hear that word like, oh yeah, feelings. I mean, man, emotion is super potent. It is one of the most potent things out there um, because it's energy and motion. That's what it's been referred to, emotion. Um, and if you can harness the good emotions, you can understand how it empowers your life in a different way, like having something like gratitude um, for shitty circumstances. Mm and laughing about something. You know, we have this thing with gallows humor in our line of work because that's all you can do is just laugh. Yeah. And it really helps the situation, you know, in dealing with it. Obviously, there's decompressing that you have to do for a serious call. Um, but emotion's powerful, man. And people have to, um, in our line of work, have to honor the power of emotion. Um, and and that kind of goes into the honesty to with it as well. As well. If you're gonna yeah, go through sure. something, what is the emotion that you're feeling? And from a non-therapeutical perspective and being on, on a couch with a shrink, okay, ask yourself how are you truly feeling? And if you can have a journal practice and journal about that and ask yourself things about, you know, the, the bad emotions, you're able to find the true root of the problem um, because from there, it's going to really kind of pave the way for a better mental health and how you can decide for yourself, okay, well, I was feeling a lot of shame in that moment for something, uh, but why? Always ask the question why, because that will give you more answers. And when you have this practice with yourself to ask those questions and question everything, mm. you know, that was one of the biggest things as like as a kid, um, I would ask the question why all the time. And you will realize children do ask why all the time. Well, why do I have to do that? Why do I have to do this? It's because they have this greater sense of curiosity and as I grew up, I, I had this, um, you know, I, I began to skateboard and be more punk rock in my life and was just an anarchist. And I questioned everything, yeah. you know, and, and that led me into questioning a lot about my life and also, you know, not not just giving in to what the the narrative is on my life to, to make decisions for myself. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, as I became a firefighter, I had to realize there is a pecking order um, and that, I think for me, it really cut me into us into pieces for asking why, because I had to take orders. Um, and so a part of that was, well, first of all, I have to honor the, the harmony and pecking order and respect people, but I have to also respect myself. And that was a hard lesson learned I had um, at uh, a certain station I had 
where there was uh, some serious traditions that had been held um, and I had to just really um, just bite the bullet and take, eat the shit stick as they say. And why? But why do I have to do this? Why do I have to eat the shit stick? You know, I still um, desire respect for myself. And I had to understand this, um, uh, the shame I carried for not respecting myself and asking certain questions for, for things and not being respected. As a beginner firefighter and learning things, uh, it's hard to yeah. find a middle ground with that. And that's something that's ingrained in our culture that's changing at this time. Um, and not saying that we have to throw away old traditions within the fire department. We still honor those because there's, there's a reason why it's worked for so long. However, you know, you, each individual has to understand that relationship with shame and being a beginner uh, in this line of work because it's, it's all about making sure each person goes home safe to their families. In the end, that's what it's all about with this job. Um, you know, so I had to discover my, my identity again uh, as I began this career um, for a prestige department like La City Los Angeles um, because we do go to a lot of fires and we go, we're really busy. We don't sleep. And we go on some serious, gnarly calls, man. I've seen some crazy shit over the years. And no doubt. I had to say, man, I have to just laugh at it all at the same time. Um, but there is some, some moments where I had to I'd make redefine my identity and, and, and look inside and ask myself, what are the emotions that I'm feeling um, around certain circumstances? Because for me, dude, like the hardest things um, in this job is the department culture in the station. It wasn't necessarily the calls that I went on. Um, it was more so how to manage my identity around the culture. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you, you know, you hit a lot of good points in that. I think that um, with that culture, you know, it's, it's, they train us how to do the job, but not how to manage ourselves of how to process the job, right? How to, how to, how to work that out. You know, and it would be great to, I know that a lot of academies now are having um, wellness days and inviting families to it, which is great to see and hear about. But um, going back into the meditation aspect of it again, um, so I, so besides the transcendental meditation and then like you were talking about with your, your consciousness and really answering and letting yourself process and letting yourself feel and the whys, um, I added, there was another, uh, modality that a buddy brought of mine. So my best friend, shy, he was like, Hey, um, I hear you're doing some mental health and, and, uh, working for a treatment center. He's like, you might want to get a hold of my mom. And I'm like, Verge. Oh yeah. I forgot about her. So Virginia Dixon, <clears throat> um, has been doing a thing called rest, uh, relational, emotional, um, spiritual truth. And it's you. It's you answering the questions. <laughs> so I love, the, I love the segue into it. So this is how this goes with, with her. She puts your hand on a um, little sensory pulse. Um, uh, it almost looks like a mouse, right? So you lay your hand on it, and, it, and it, she collects, collects data as she gets it's a stimulate, like stimulants, right? I'm trying to figure out what the word is. But anyway, you put your hand on this little mouse and it starts to pick up um, sensories of what you're feeling and going through. And so she starts to ask questions and she reads the data on the screen. And as you're going through some of these questions, she'll stop. And then she'll give you a really, really tough question. 
and one of them was my daughter. I had a daughter at 18, and our relationship has been really tough over the last few years. And so she asked me a question about her. She's like, now I want you to sit with this question I'm going to ask you. She puts on meditation music, and she leaves. Hmm. And she's like, we're going to do it for a minute. And then she'll come back, tell me what you saw. And so it's digging in you of what you see and what you've maybe, and I was tearing up on a simple question and answering it and processing it. And then she would ask a few minutes later another question. She's like, well, this one's going to be for three minutes. You're going to meditate on this question for three minutes and I'll be back. And it's you digging in. And meditating on the question. And then at the end of the session, she'll turn around. She's like, when you read, when you reach towards, the, she had numbers. You reach towards the 11s and the 12s, those are breakthroughs. So there's science to the meditation, to you answering your own questions or pain and processing it with her and answering it with her and, you know, bringing it out into the open. And it's, it was, it's, it's an incredible modality. Um, that in our first two sessions, I was just breaking apart, um, in a good way. I think I'm supposed to have her on, uh, oh, I think so. Yeah. Dr. Mary Bell introduced her and her program. Um, she's going to introduce us. We're supposed to have her on. Okay. Um, but I mean, I didn't know about this, this, uh, this modality. Like it's crazy, dude. You can, there's so much technology now that is introducing like backing some of these things up and like like i said demystifying stuff because there is an art to it and there's an intelligence behind it um and for some reason we've lost touch with some of these ancient practices that have worked for thousands of years because why yeah it's worked for so long and it's it's transcended these civilizations and their own humanity to become superhumans Mm. I mean, some of my uh, greatest, uh, I guess, role models are, uh, they are uh, Shaolin monks. I mean, they, they do these things like the iron fist and like the iron finger where they can do, it can fucking punch through bricks and boulders and shit. And I'm like, dude, I want to be like this guy, you know, like, <laughs> but I, I grew up as a kid watching these karate movies, like Enter the Dragon and stuff and like studying Bruce Lee. And yeah. like, I was like, always like wanting to be like, like them. Yeah, for sure. Um, but they had these ancient practices and most of their practices are meditation, <laughs> Funny enough, it's like they could they could do these things, but they they master the mind first in order for them to master their mind body connection and breathing techniques as simple as that is, right? Right. I mean, you, it, going to the movies of Bruce Lee, the guy's breathing, you know, and doing his hua, you know, type of yeah, you know, and then you know the sweet science is what they call boxing, and breathing is huge in that. And breathing's huge everywhere, you know. Why can't we use that to kind of help heal ourselves? Yeah. Yeah, there's a book that I uh, I'd read called uh, by James McNester called Breathe um, or Breath. I forget which one, but he he studied breath and the power of it, and he would he would go and study in like ancient India and like and see these statues of these people doing these belly breathing. So essentially, like your breathing has to come from like where your belly button is. That's like the power of the breath comes from there. And you want to practice pushing that belly out because a lot of times we have missed the technology of breathing is not from the chest upper breathing. chest breathing. It, it, it's not right. You want to use the lower diaphragm in order to breathe. And there's power in breath work because it can change your, your, the toxicity and the pH of your blood from just changing the power of your breath. 
and ultimately like just these simple techniques can increase your blood your your temperature of your body and also like just bring your nervous system down um and just realign your system just by the power of your breath i mean totally i you know grounding right or they're calling earthing now um it relieves the inflammation in your body is what they're finding out like just all these simple things that we we just diminish because they're too simple and we need something complicated because we're complicated I, i don't know but to break these things down and you know bring bring a practicality to them and how they work because i don't I'm kind of in a in a place too that I'm getting away from big pharma, going way more holistic. That if I'm having anxiety, I'm gonna do some breath work while I'm at the DMV. <laughs> Who doesn't have anxiety and stressors <laughs> while you're at the DMV? So I'm I'm breathing right, and I'm not doing it pronounced. So you know people are looking over at me and like what's going on with this dude. And but uh, in a way that it's gonna get me through it. That I'm not gonna have to take an anti-anxiety pill. You know, that there's yeah. one fix. Uh, so, like, earthing is really interesting. Um, uh, and there's a documentary called Earthing. Mm-hmm. And this guy talks about how he was introduced to earthing. His um, his sister was sick. And she had scarlet fever. And, like, scarlet fever, like, killed a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and, and he was living in, like, I believe it was, like, Wisconsin. And lived next to a, um, uh, like, next to some Native American people. And they buried her up to like the neck. And over three days, she was uh, fine. She had no fever, nothing. And so he he looked into his whole life into studying earthing and and what it does. Um, So it was pretty interesting documentary. If you get a chance, I think it's like an hour long. You can find it on YouTube. Mm. Uh, But it shows how, how scientifically important earthing is because... It brings you into this connection with your body by just the soles of your feet. Um, and it's amazing. The, your feet are a map for your entire body. So it just connects to that. Um, and it just brings in this frequency to, your, to just align your body from like away from inflammation and so many different things that helps tremendously. And you can do like all these, like you can have the best diet and do all the workouts in the world. But if you're not, not grounded, you're not going to have that connection of like electromagnetic frequencies or whatever. Yeah. And a lot of our shoes actually are negate that. Right. You know, a lot of the stuff we wear is trying to get this anti-shock and really um, what we know now is, is, is helpful. So yeah, again, back to the simplicity of um, a lot of these things that you have to continually practice to get wellness. It doesn't, it's no longer a struggle it's a, it's a place of I get to, I get to do these things. I get to do these things so that I can have a more fruitful life and I can actually be of fruit in someone else's life. It really is an amazing thing to get to go and do these things now. Now, it took some time and I have a long way to go, but having had battled through the awkwardness, the silliness of it as I was laughing at it uh, and coming to find when I can use it and when I can't. Just like a pitcher, right? We were talking about my childhood and being a pitcher. I don't have one pitch. I wouldn't possibly be able to to remain in the game with just one pitch. You really got to have multiple pitches um, ready to go and fire off. 
because if something doesn't work quickly, I'm ready to go to the next wellness practice of what that might be, what that might look like. Is it me journaling and answering questions in my step work? Is it me reaching out to someone just to see how they're doing and get me out of my head? Is it to me to go and be of service to someone else? Is it to me like all these different little things that are so impactful that I couldn't do because I was so clouded, one, with the alcohol, and two, with the trauma. The pain was so great, right? And we can't see clearly or even function. Um, I actually had a doctor look at my blood work, and he's like, how are you feeling today? And um, this was early into my healing process, before my healing process, and I'm like, I'm okay. He's like, suicidal thoughts? And I'm like, um, no. You know, trying to hide the fact that I don't want to do, I don't want to be 5150 here. And um, he's like, well, I'm surprised you're here. I'm surprised you're awake. And I'm just surprised that you're actually here with us. Because I would imagine you'd be having a ton of suicidal thoughts with all the blood work that just came back. And so now it doesn't look so silly anymore. Now I take it all serious and try to reach a place that I can be now, um, a little more healed, present a little more healing, present a lot of love, and um, be able to show how the daily practice of it is, you know, for me, and what might work for you. Because as we're stepping into a lot of these different areas of wellness, of what they're doing these days, it's just amazing that we get to throw and see what sticks for us, right? Like, whatever Cambo might be, that I never thought I would be um, in a place to go and be served Cambo, ultimately three times, and really be able to find more healing. And so I thirst for it, because the more healing I get, the more healing I can give. Mm. And that was something that Dr. Maribel pushed me to go do. She's like, I can use you only this much. So if you go and get what you need, I can use you that much. And it pushed me to go get the training. It's pushed me to go get more healing, even in that state that I was already moving along. And that's just amazing to have those kind of people also, right? Like we're on a forefront of trying to push forward for firefighters and trailblazing areas so that they're not alone. That these funny things that we laugh at, that her hippie voodoo, um, you know, as, as they put put these labels on these things that actually are just stopping you from simply healing mm. you know so um that's that's kind of been a major thing for me in wanting to push forward through and kind of explain with is what does it look like and the breakdowns of how does it look for me and what could it look like for you and there are so many different um like we're talking about wellness out there to go and get to see what does work for you. And don't tell me you've done it once and say it doesn't work for you because the practice is going to feel awkward. It's going to be uncomfortable. And those are probably the places you want to be in <laughs> because what's felt comfortable this, this long hasn't really worked. Mm. So trying to push in that other opposite front. Yeah, I always felt like uh, comfortability leads to conformity. And conformity is a weakness in my eyes um, because you're not growing. And you're, you're being now 
uh, a victim and victimhood is 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 allowing other people to take control of your life instead of you and so if you can empower yourself with that identification to take the chance to now pull the reins and start controlling your life the way you want to make it mm-hmm. um there's there's some uh there's a multitude of answers you can receive through that that approach and i think through everything you said anthony it's like um you made the changes through desperation and we don't want people to get to desperation in order to agree to have to make the change, Agreed. you know, and, and when those circumstances arise, when you, when you have a child you know, and, and it's getting thrown in your arms, you can go home and process it a bit better rather than, you know, making, pushing it, throwing it under the rug, shoving it down. And now later down the road, you got to deal with it, face it now. Um, and, and ultimately, you know, we do this job in order to serve others, but if you can't serve yourself, what, what difference does it make? Mm. Um, and we're teaming up together to, to take an awareness to how this works and how we can do it together. It's not through one person and it's not, it's through each other. Um, and bringing back that, that alignment with firefighters, bringing the family mentality back to the line of work because it's been missing. Um, and that's what's been a main, been like a a main benefactor in the slippery slope that we're in right now is because that's been lost. Mm. Um, and so what we can do is now change ourselves. And then now we're changing other people through what we do, um, and making that responsibility with ourselves potent. Um, so thank you, brother, for coming on today, man. Um, we're going to close yeah, up here you, yeah. uh, because we have about like 10% on this camera right here and it's going to die. But um, if people were interested in, in visiting Acera, um, Acera is spelled A-C-E-R-A. And what is the meaning of Acera? Like, what does that word mean again? Pathway. It's a pathway. Yep. Awesome. Because I was, I was, I remember someone telling me and I was like, well, what is, I forgot what they said, but pathway. Mm. Um, that's Awesome. And then, uh, so acerahealth.com is how you access uh, frontline behavioral health facilities and also like understand like their their initiative and how they want to change people's lives through the different therapies they provide. Um, it's a great facility. I went to go visit it and I was uh, really impressed. So if there's anything else you want to say, brother. Yeah, no, um, I just want to thank you, John, for having me on. And like I said, this is another trailblazing moment to be a part of um, and trying to reach. Um, you know, I always tell people, you know, it's real simple for me, bringing awareness, which we're doing, um, lessening the stigma, which is a part of that, and telling my story. And if anything beautifully branches off from that, what is that? <laughs> music. That was so, actually pretty cool. I was like, I was like, we're ending. <laughs> he has, wow, he has a marker. So, uh, you know, if anything beautifully branches off from that, then, you know, let's go. Because it just, it really makes it real pure and mm-hmm. simple. And so um, whatever we can do that in and whatever platform, um, I just wanted to say that I'm blessed and honored that you asked me to come on. And thank you, John, for um, being a part of my recovery and support system um it's been uh very impactful and uh not just to me but my wife so thank you wonderful it's honor brother and 
you know, my, my goal is to help others, you know, so, um, thanks for so much for coming on. You're so brave and I really honor you, um, for your work. And, um, yeah, so I'm going to close off here and, uh, uh, thank you everybody for listening to grab lives. Like I said, um, frontline behavioral health is our, our sponsor now and they want to work, um, with this message of what we have, which is to help others who are going through it. And like I said before, if you can go to sarahhealth.com, you can access all this stuff. Um, so thank you so much, Anthony, and uh, take care. If you guys can leave uh, Grab Live some reviews on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, uh, thank you for so much for listening.